Well, welcome to our NUMA Worship Podcast with me, Joel, and me, Marie. Woohoo! Woohoo! Here we are with the brand new, revamped, reimagined uh, NUMA Worship Podcast. And so, wherever you're listening, however you're joining us, uh, welcome. And we hope that you get a lot out of this podcast as we just explore worship, as we get into God's Word and just share uh, what's on our hearts, what God is speaking to us about all things worship uh, from His Word. And so uh, go ahead and uh, hit subscribe to the podcast, uh, be a part of it. Leave us a nice review as well if you get something out of it. If you don't get anything out of it, just move on. Don't leave a bad <laughs> review. We're not keen on those. Um, but no, send us in any uh, questions as well that you might have that we can bring up in future episodes. Um, and in the coming weeks, yeah, we're going to do lots of fun things. Um, we're going to get into different studies um, and also get into some practical stuff as well. And so we'd love to hear from you about what you'd like to uh, for us to cover on this podcast. How are you doing, Marie? I am so good and ready to rock and roll and talk about all things worship and what God is speaking to us about in this season. Mm-hmm. But first, first, why don't we have some fun, like little known facts? Oh, little known facts. Go. Hit me. Hit you. Okay. What are you reading right now in the Bible? Oh, is that a little known fact? Sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's a big I known fact. I thought you were going to give Maybe like factoids. Everyone. I thought <laughs> no, you meant like, sorry. did you know kind of things. But if oh, you okay. have those, you can share those too. I don't have anything off the top of my head, but... um. <laughs> What am I reading in the Bible right now? I am reading Romans at the moment. Awesome. So going through slowly but surely. The way I study the Bible at the moment is one chapter at a day. And I just Great. go deep dive and read it uh, over and then study all the notes and all that kind of thing. So that's awesome. what I'm doing at the moment. What about yourself? I'm reading in Mark at the moment. Great. Still there. I've been there for ages. But mm. recently, Mark chapter 8, which is really interesting. I encourage you guys to um, dig into it yourself about Jesus when he fed like the 4,000 people. And then the disciples got into the boat and they only brought one loaf of bread, which I've been hung up on because I'm like, mm. why would they bring one loaf of bread when they've just seen this miracle and Jesus providing in abundance? And then Jesus warned about like, don't get your yeast from the Pharisees or from Herod. And it's this super random like segment in the middle of them getting in the boat and going somewhere. I'm like, God, why is this included in there? So I won't spoil it now, but I think there's so much in it. So if you guys want to read into it, Mark chapter eight, how about it? And that's what I'm reading. Sounds good. What about books? What are you reading in terms of books at the moment? Um, right now I'm going over Soul Keeping again. So I've read it once. John Ortberg. Yeah, John Ortberg. I've read it once, but mm. I kind of, because I read so many books yeah. at one time, I like read it really fast. Right. And so I just felt to go back through it again and take some more time going through it. And I'm also reading Revival, what's it called? I have it right here. Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill, mm, which classic. is a really old book. Mm. But I just figure right now we're in the season talking about revivals coming. We're on the edge of it. And so if I can surround myself and fill my mind and my heart with everything revival, then that's probably a good thing to dig into. So good. What about you? I am reading um, Growing in Prayer by awesome. Mike Bickle at the moment, which is a big, thick book on prayer. And mm. it's very challenging, but encouraging at the same time. But small words like type. <laughs> Not like, he uses big words, but as in the type is very small and it's a lot of pages. So it's a big chunky book, but very rich. And so that's challenging me at the moment. 
what about what are you listening to? Again, revival. Bethel's new album. Right. Album. Revival's in the air. Mm. Can't get enough of it. Anything is possible is my favorite yeah. track right now. Great. What about you? Um, similarly, listening to that album, Elevation's new album as well, mm-hmm. um, in a non-worship vibe, I'm um, going for a lot of jazz at the moment, Whoa. which sounds super pretentious, but um, I don't know if I'm just getting older, but I'm finding my way back into jazz again. And so I listen to a awesome. lot of Stan Getz and uh, Miles Davis and those kind of cats. Yeah, awesome. Moment. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's get into it. Our topic today. Hey, um, also shout out to uh, Mike Tula for the jingle uh, at the start of this podcast. I don't know. Um, that was that was awesome. So revamped uh, podcast needs a revamped jingle. So shout out to Mikey. Um, our topic today is spirit and in truth worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. And uh, it's obviously a very well-known phrase and um, in the worship world, uh, if you've been in church for any length of time, especially if you've been in worship team on any team anywhere in the world, you would have probably heard about spirit and truth worship. Obviously taken from John chapter 4. And so it might seem like a cliche place to start for our worship podcast, but uh, here at Numa Worship, this is a real integral part of uh, who we are. And so we wanted to actually look at this passage again and, and talk about uh, spirit and truth worship, what it actually means, because we can quote the verse and we know the context, but really dig into why do we, why are we instructed by Jesus to worship in spirit and in truth. And so we talked about this as a team recently in one of our team nights. And so we thought this would be a great opportunity to go deeper again and to um, share it with the wider podcast audience as well. And so this is obviously taken out of John chapter 4. And um, we find here the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Obviously, again, very familiar passage to all of us. So we won't read the whole thing here, but go, uh, if you've got your Bible with you or later on, go and check it out again, read the whole story. It's really important to understand the context of these verses, um, especially verses 23, 24, where Jesus talks about worship in spirit and in truth. What's that context uh, that he drops this famous uh, worship line in. And so we know the story. Uh, Jesus is traveling through Samaria. Uh, he decides not to circumnavigate Samaria like most self-respecting Jews would do. So uh, out of fear and um, despising the Samaritans, he decides to go through it because he's on a mission to seek and save the lost. And so he comes across this Samaritan woman at the well, and she is there drawing water in the middle of the day. And Jesus asks her for a drink. She is very taken aback, obviously, that this Jewish rabbi would ask her for a drink because the Jews believed that if they used anything that a Samaritan had used, such as a water pitcher, they would become ceremonially unclean. And so this was a scandalous thing for Jesus to even ask for. And so then comes this, uh, this I guess, uh, Jesus 
basically revealing himself, who he was, to her. And Jesus is always using these scenarios. We see it in John 3 with Nicodemus and uh, now in John 4 with the Samaritan woman, how he uses uh, object lessons and uh, to get people thinking and get people asking questions to reveal who he was. And so let's pick it up in verse 10. John chapter 4, verse 10. And Marie, I'm wondering if you could read for us down to verse 15. Sure. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Right. So the context here um, that we read about before we get into this debate about worship, Jesus here is contrasting two different kinds of water, two different sources of water, the well and the spring or the fountain. Uh, Now, the natural water speaks of external satisfactions of earthly and perishable nature. They only ever reach the superficial parts of our nature and they're soon spent so that we have to keep going back as even as if we've never experienced them. And so there's this external water, uh, this natural water that we keep on having to go back to the well, whereas the living water that Christ gives us is struck out of the very depths of our being. That means that our souls then are not supposed to be a cistern or a reservoir or a tank where external water is poured in, but they are to be a fountain bubbling up and flowing out from within us ever fresh and ever living. The contrast in imagery here is really striking between that of human striving, going to that well again and again and and heaving out the water versus the freedom and the joy of a spring or a fountain bursting out from within us. Now we know here that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, it says in John chapter 7 uh, that that it, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit being within us and being this bubbling fountain that springs up and overflows from, without, uh, from within our very being. And so let's continue reading here from verse 16. Uh, could you read down to verse 20? says, he told her, Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Awesome. Um, 
So it's really interesting here that as soon as Jesus uh, brings up the subject of her husband, that she, uh, having been confronted with her sin, decides to change the subject or change the topic to the debate about worship and where we're supposed to worship. And so it could be that she's wanting to change, just simply change the subject, or it could be the fact that she recognized Jesus as a rabbi and so is basically assuming that given her sin, he's about to go and tell her that she needed to go and make a sacrifice. And so the question then becomes about where the right place to make this sacrifice was. Now, for the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim, I don't know if that's how you say it, but let's go with it, uh, was the center of their religious system. They believe it existed before creation. It was where Adam was fashioned out of its dust, and it was the only mountain that survived the flood. They held that this is where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac and where he later met Melchizedek. They actually believed that the Ark of the Covenant was hidden on this mountain. And we know that when the blessings and curses were read to the wilderness generation of Israel, the blessings were read from Mount Gerizim. And later the Israelites were instructed that an altar be erected on Mount Ebal was actually opposite to Mount Gerizim. But the Samaritans actually changed scripture for that verse to read Mount Gerizim instead of Mount Ebal. So the Samaritans had altered history and tampered with the text of scripture to glorify Mount Gerizim. And we can actually fall into the same trap as well as worshippers. When we make worship about what suits us or about what works for us, um, we can make worship revolve around us and we make worship something that it isn't. And so Jesus is standing right between these two mountains. Both would have been visible from where the, the they were standing at the well. And so he says, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain pointed at Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. So he's saying you worship what you do not know because the Samaritans had actually restricted their scriptures to the first five books of the Bible. Uh, And so they lacked the theological richness of the revelation of God in the rest of the Old Testament. The Jews had the rest of the Old Testament, but for the most part, they didn't understand God as their father. And that's why Jesus brings up, he brings the father into this whole uh, debate on worship. You will not worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. We worship what we know, right? And so that's so important. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, which is really important given what Jesus says next. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so here we've arrived at this uh, very famous verses on worship. Probably the most profound teaching on worship is found here in verse 23 and 24. But what does it all mean for us as worshipers? Well, let's talk about this word worship first, and then we'll get into the spirit and in truth. The New Testament word used in this passage is transliterated into the English as proscunio or proscuneo, or however the emphasis goes. Um, But there are, are other words 
used to refer to worship, but this is the only word used in this whole passage, and it's used ten times, both as a noun and a verb, in the second half of this conversation between Jesus and the woman. Now, the basic meaning of this word uh, actually describes the kissing of a hand or even uh, like a dog licking the feet or the hand of his master in love and affection. Um, And among the Greeks and uh, leading into the New Testament era, uh, this proskuneo was seen as a technical term for the adoration of their gods, meaning to fall down, to prostrate oneself, uh, and to adore on one's knees. So uh, in addition to this external act of worship, there's, this can also denote the, the inward attitude of reverence and humility when one bows down to give honor and glory to God. And it came to be used as the main word to describe a worshiper uh, and the posture that he or she would take in prostrating themselves before God. And so possibly one of the most powerful depictions of this type of worship in the Bible is found in Revelation. So, Marie, do you want to uh, share your thoughts on uh, on worship as we find it in the book of Revelation? Yeah, definitely. So if we want to flick to Revelations chapter 4 from verse 9, it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns, some translations say they cast their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And so many words stand out when we read this. To me, I'll go through a few, but initially that word worship that we just talked about, proskuneo. Nice. (laughs) Nailed it. Um, To kiss, like to have adoration, like that dog licking his master's hand. That is a very intentional and um, even emotionally expressive. It's an intimate act. And Mm. so when I think of like without going TMI, when I think about my husband or a marriage, like when you kiss your spouse or your partner, like that's an emotional, intentional, intimate act. And if you're just kissing because you're married and you go through the motions, Mm. like that cheapens it, right? There's not a heart attitude or heart posture that intimacy invested into it. And so then I think about how often in my relationship with God have I just kissed him in worship without actually fully giving my heart over to him, without actually taking that time to reflect on like, I'm doing this because I love you, not just because you've done Mm. something nice for me and now we're in this covenant and that's the thing that we do. Right but it's because we have this relationship that's cultivated and who you are to me is more than I could ever say with words. And so this is my act Mm -hmm. of giving myself over completely to you. Going back to Revelations 9, where it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him. Before we fall down in worship, like falling down is an automatic response Mm -hmm. to our giving thanks to our Mm. praising, to our glorifying, to our adoration. And so if I'm falling down in worship or bowing my life in worship simply because I think that's the thing that we have to do, Mm. or that's just the thing that you do in worship, whether it's on stage or in church at congregation or at home in my personal time with God, my life isn't this um, just act or not act, a sacrifice given to God, Mm. then I'm missing 
that heart posture of gratitude, like the gratitude and the thankfulness and the adoration and the awe towards him for what he's done and who he is, that will automatically lead to my life being laid down for him. So that's something for me in spirit and truth worship, I'm always exploring and coming back to and being reminded of, I need to come with thankfulness and oftentimes in my devotional time with God, I'll start there, I'll start just by thanking Him. Thanking Him for everything that I have around me, my family, the things that I have, the house that I live in, my pet, my church, my team, everything that is around Mm -hmm. me comes from Him. It says it right there in Revelations. All things are from you and to you. Nothing is my own. So God, I thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I thank you for who you are, that you are never changing, that your character is steadfast and the same. I praise you for who you are. Even if you never did a single thing for me ever again, you are good and that's your character and I praise you for that. And from there, I'm able to lay myself down, lay my life down on the altar as a sacrifice again and become vulnerable. I've found when I don't start my day or a time in worship or devotion without thankfulness, it feels a lot more rigid to commit the day to Him or to commit whatever we're doing to Him. And it feels almost inauthentic Um, where it says they cast their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord. Like casting, it's kind of a throwaway word, but like when you cast something, you throw it as far away as you can. Right. Right. It's not, and I know a lot of translations, the one I just read say, lay it down. But I think ESV says cast and King James says cast. And that's such a different imagery. When I cast something, I Mm. have to go way out of my way to retrieve that thing. I actually don't want to lay something down at his feet that I can just pick back up again. Mm. Like I want to throw it away. I want it to be an action that is visible of like, God, this is not part of me. This is not part of my identity or something that I want to interfere with my worship to you. So I'm going to throw it as far away from my life as possible so you can have me completely and wholeheartedly to yourself. So yeah, when I think of spirit and truth worship, we have to have that gratefulness aspect. So good. Let's just finish off this discussion for today. Um, looking back at this spirit and in truth worship in John chapter four, um, and uh, we'll end with just a quick sort of, uh, I guess, understanding. Uh, this is not the whole breadth of it, and we could stay here for uh, for for ages just unpacking this. But for today, mm-hmm. just spirit and in truth worship. Let's give ourselves a, a, a brief understanding of what we're talking about here. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Well, spirit is the opposite of what is material and earthly. To worship in spirit means it's a spiritual activity. It means partnership with the Holy Spirit in worship. Remember the context that Jesus is talking about where he's um, you know, comparing the water from the well to the living water that he gives. And that living water, as we understand in John 7, is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So to worship in the Spirit means that there's this overflowing of the Spirit living within us that's bringing us life, that's giving us new life, thanks to the finished work of the cross uh, and our new life in Jesus. We now have the Holy Spirit within us that enables us to worship. It means I'm no longer trying to fill the cistern or the tank of my own soul with external temporal water. But now, as I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, I'm a new creation. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And now out of my heart, my inner being, my soul, the essence of my being flows a river of living 
water. Jesus is telling us in this most important passage on worship is actually impossible to be a true worshiper without the Spirit. So that's worshiping in the Spirit. Then worshiping in truth, truth is God's reality. Truth is the Word of God. Um, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so truth is what God says about himself. It's not our own ideas. It's not our own agendas. It's not our own ways of thinking, but it's what does God say about this? God's word is our foundation. And so uh, we worship in the truth of who God is. It also means as well that nothing is hidden. Truth means that everything is brought to the light. I can't hide anything. And that's why it's really interesting, even in this passage in John 4, as soon as the woman says to Jesus, give me this living water, she's like, give me this, I don't have to keep coming back here again. Jesus replied with, go call your husband. It's as if he was saying, okay, let's bring what's been hidden up until now to the surface. Let's talk about why you're out here in the middle of the day avoiding people. You know, let's let's get to the source of your thirst. It wasn't to expose or condemn her, obviously, but it was to bring to light that which was hidden. He was inviting her to a life of freedom. You know, Jesus said in in John 8 verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's this hard attitude that when we come and we worship, we're not putting on masks, we're not pretending, we're not trying to play church dress up or anything like that of what people might feel like that we, you know we ought to be, but we're an open book before God. And I, I think if anyone demonstrates that in, in the Bible, it's David, King David, right? The man after God's own heart, the worshippers, uh, worship leader. Do you know, um, in Psalm 139, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. David was a man. He was a worshiper after God's own heart because he didn't look to keep anything hidden. You know, we know that he made mistakes, so it wasn't about that. It means that he was an open book before God. So that's, again, just a brief unpacking understanding of spirit and in truth worship. It's a partnership with the Holy Spirit in worship. It's God's reality. It means that nothing is hidden before God. We, The light of God's word illuminates even the darkest spaces of our heart so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. That's our uh, discussion for today. Um, we can unpack this in future episodes as well and, and look at even, I want to look in the future about spirit and truth worship, even in the Old Testament as well, and how it's been part of God's plan all along. But we'll, we'll leave it there today. Uh, Marie, any final thoughts or uh, comments before we close off? No, I think it's such a rich conversation with so much revelation that we can... Um, just receive as we search this chapter out and even let it search us. And so we encourage every one of you, whether you're reading along with us now, revisit it later, go back to it during the week and ask the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you about what it is to be a spirit and truth worshiper in your own life. And of course, we're not just talking about on stage. That's like the tip of the iceberg. This is in everything. This is in 
your marriage and putting the kids to bed and doing the dishes and every single element that makes up our life. And so this is something that we're asking ourselves all the time and asking the Lord to reveal to us, what does it mean to be a spirit and truth worshiper? And how can I grow in freedom and receive more freedom to bring myself to you completely and fully and honestly? Um, So we just encourage and ask you guys to come on the journey with us. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for listening today, guys. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, do all that fun stuff. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Numa Worship Podcast. 